Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Good morning, everyone. June, Louisa, I'm going to have you come over here. So, in the next coming weeks as we walk through Advent, we're actually going to have our kids between six and nine years old reading our passages before we start our sermon. So, uh, June and Louisa get to bless us with a reading of God's Word this morning. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Thank you, guys. At this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss all of the three to five year olds. <laughs> And six and seven-year-olds, sorry, that's right. Um, If you have not been here the last couple of weeks, our kids will be singing a song and leading us in song um, December 18th, and so that's where they are going to go and practice that song for that day. Um, But if you have not received that email with the YouTube video and you might be out the next couple of weeks, let me know. Jordan's not here, so I can get that forwarded over to you. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the District Church. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us this morning um, and uh, joining us for Advent. Um, this is my annual rebuke, though, this year. Um, for those of you who put Christmas stuff up before Thanksgiving, um, I hope that you confessed during our time of confession, right? Because we tend to look at Thanksgiving like John the Baptist, and we just look towards Christmas, and we miss out on all the goodness that we receive in Thanksgiving. Ransford's like the only one that gets that. It's fine. Cool. Christmas season is now upon us, though, and with Christmas season, especially with our church, uh, we like to pause the sermons or the series we're walking through and um, devote our attention to Advent. And so this is what we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks, is taking a look at the four songs that we see through Luke's narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that the four people that we encounter in the next coming weeks, Mary, like this morning, the angels and shepherds, Zechariah and Simeon, upon receiving the news that Jesus is coming, they break out into song. And so we want to we highlight that. We want, want to see that. And that's why in our Advent season, in our series through Advent, we're entitling this series, The Songs of Advent, because these men and women, as they encounter Jesus, break out into song. Now, for those of you who don't know what Advent is or uh, have not been raised in church where the calendar recognizes Advent, uh, you, you're probably, if you're unaware of this, you've probably celebrated Advent or at least seen people celebrate Advent more than you realize. 
Um, any of you already have an Advent calendar, the calendar that counts down to Christmas? Anybody use that to celebrate? Right, so we are aware that Advent is here, even through counting down to Christmas. But what we want to do as a church is help us understand what Advent is for the Israelites as well as for us now as a church. Advent comes from the Latin word, which means coming or arrival. And it is the traditional celebration of the first coming of Jesus. But it is also the time period that the church anxiously awaits for the second coming of Christ. And this is the season that we are in. We are anxiously waiting for the second coming of Christ. It's a season that is marked by remembering and rejoicing, watching and waiting. As the church, we remember and rejoice what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we watch and we wait with hope and joy that he will come again, making all things new. And this, as believers, as we see this morning with Mary and Zechariah and the angels, as well as Simeon, as they encounter this incarnate Christ, what is produced within them is rejoicing. It is songs of praise. And each one of these encounters give us an example or a picture of the heart posture that we should have upon encountering Christ. And so what I want us to see from God's word this morning is that this should be our response. But I also want us to see that these four individuals, their response isn't specific to them. You see, singing is an aspect of all of our lives, right? I'm sure if I were to poll each and every one of you, there is a song that you could remember that has its place, that was powerful and emotional for you. Songs do that. But you think about songs even in the church and how they've impacted us throughout the, the years of church history. The church has been known to make and create beautiful songs, singing melody to the Lord. And we're, we're called to continue to create these songs, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. Singing is an aspect of our lives. When you think about this, how many of you have left a church gathering singing any of my points? Or singing Ransford or Dwayne's points? But I'm sure that you've probably left here singing or humming a tune that we sung during worship, right? Singing dwells within us in a special way. And it is an overflow of our hearts, especially the posture of our heart towards a good and gracious God. One of my favorite parts of the Chronicles of Narnia is found in The Magician's Nephew on page 116 in the book I have, where Aslan sings Narnia into existence. And this picture that C.S. Lewis gives us is the creation narrative in Genesis through poetic form. A good song is powerful and it can move us. We even look at the scriptures as this example. We see that the largest book of the Bible, does anybody know what it is? The book of Psalms, right? That is the majority of an instruction to the people of God to sing. And what's even interesting is you break down the Psalms. I, I love this because I think it speaks to us as people. The majority of those Psalms are Psalms of lament. Because the people of God, we often live in seasons of lament. And so it's beautiful that God has given us this as he's designed his word to comfort us and show us his mercy and grace. But we see in the New Testament that Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, that singing should be an expression of worship 
from a posture that our heart has been transformed and conformed into the image of God. He says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what I want us to think about when we see these songs of Advent, especially from today's first song that we find in Mary's Magnificent, that spirit-filled believers, as Paul talked about in Ephesians, spirit-filled believers sing gospel truth, we sing gospel truth. That, that's why the songs we sing on Sunday are doctrinally sound. We, we shoot for weighty theology so that we have deep within us a well of gospel truth to sing. And we understand, as Paul said here in Ephesians 5, that from our hearts we are singing this gospel truth. Because when we are conformed to the truth of God's grace and mercy, it should then lead us to an expression of worship through song and praise. And so let us pray, and we'll take a look at Mary's Magnificent. Lord, you are so good to us. And as we see here in your word today through the life of your servant Mary, you are a gracious and merciful God that saves and redeems your people. As we go into the season of Advent, help us to know that we have much to rejoice over mainly your grace that you've shown to us and given to us in Christ. And Lord, even though this season of Advent can often bring deep sadness and sorrow, for those of us in here walking through those seasons, help us to know we too can sing because Advent reminds us that one day you will return. One day you will make all things new where there will be no more pain there will be no sting of death caused from sin, and all of our hurt and loss and shame will be gone. And Lord, we will sing of your glory with unhindered voices with all the saints for the rest of eternity. Forgive us where we fall short and forget these truths that your word preaches to us. And help us to be reminded through your word and through your people that you are our greatest good and our only true joy in this life. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It is for your glory and our joy that we praise you this morning. Help us to behold these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 1 and plant yourself there. Starting in verse 46, we will jump in. And before we actually jump into Mary's prayer, what I want us to do is kind of build some context for why Mary sings. Because that, I think, is a good question for us to ask as we come to this text. Why, why does Mary rejoice in song? And I think the context helps build this tension or this drama, as R.C. Sproul says. For those of us who are familiar with this passage, we can often overlook what is happening before Mary starts to sing. 
Whether you have heard this story through Christmas seasons, whether you've come to church your whole life and you know this prayer of Mary, whether you've watched the Charlie Brown Christmas and you see Linus open up Luke 2 and start to read and then you think, well, maybe I should go back to chapter 1 and see what he's talking about. Whatever it may be, we can often become familiar with these stories and not recognize that there is human people a part of this drama much like us who have fears, who have anxiety, who, as Mary does, receives a promise from the Lord and can fear because of the circumstance she is in. We think about Mary for a second. As the passage shows us before, she meets her cousin Elizabeth. She is a 13 to 15-year-old girl in a culture that doesn't look highly on women. And she becomes, or is told that she will become pregnant. And in that time frame, because she is not married yet, Joseph has every right to end that and put her in hardship because she is from a poor tribe. And so all of these circumstances surrounding this promise, we can often forget and think, oh, this angel is giving her a good and right promise that Jesus will be her son. And yes, we can rejoice and we can praise God for that blessing that she has received, but we can often forget what she might be going through as she hears this promise from the angel. And so this is the interaction that the angel gives to her. He comes and tells her that she will bear a son and his name would be called Jesus and he would be the son of the Most High. And so Mary asks Gabriel, the angel who comes and delivers this news, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So there's the first promise of this gift that Mary has received, that the Holy Spirit will be with you. The Holy Spirit will make this happen. He will overshadow you. And this child will be called holy. But I want you to notice that God doesn't stop there. Through the angel, God gives, Elizabeth, or gives Mary assurance through her, her cousin Elizabeth. Because he then goes and says, here is a sign that you can be assured that this will happen. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, whom was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so we see that Mary receives this promise of a sign that, hey, you might be doubting, but the Holy Spirit will be with, be with you. But here is also a physical sign that you can have assurance that this promise will come true. And Luke tells us that Mary then makes haste. She runs and goes quickly to see her cousin Elizabeth and the sign that the angel had given her. And then we see this wonderful gospel exchange between two godly women where the older honors the younger and marvels that God would bless her with the presence of her Savior. And as we read this morning in confession, as well as Louisa and June reading, showing us Elizabeth's response, John the Baptist leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. And then we see Elizabeth speak this blessing over Mary. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed that that fulfillment would come true. 
And all of this, though, is God's assurance to Mary of the promise that had been spoken through the angel Gabriel. Guys, just slow down for a second and think, how, how good is God here? God giving this assurance, this undeserved grace. He didn't just tell Mary to believe him, but in comforting her, he gave her a physical sign. You can go and see this will be true by coming and seeing your cousin Elizabeth, who has been barren for her whole life. Go and see her and have this assurance that this promise will come true. In this simple statement that the angel makes, behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived. We see God's care and compassion to this young woman. And guys, does he not still do the same with us? Where in your life can you ask the Spirit to reveal his care and assurance to you that you may not have seen? I'm sure if I were to ask each and every one of you how you got here at the district today, not just Sunday morning, but through your life, and you started to recount the gospel stories and how God has provided for you and cared for you, you may be able to see his care and compassion through people or through circumstances or through a podcast or through a website, whatever it might be that brought you here today to hear the gospel preached. You can see God's care and compassion. Maybe in your gospel story how God has saved you he used different means in which he brought you to grace. And it is part of his care and compassion that is undeserved to us, just like this care and compassion was undeserved to Mary. But yet because we serve a caring and compassionate God who loves his people and delights to make them into the image of Christ and to assure them of his goodness, he gives us these graces. And because of these graces, we can respond like Mary. And we see in Mary's song, one of the richest filled songs full of Old Testament promises that God would fulfill through his son, Jesus. And it's because spirit-filled people sing gospel truth. Mary being full of the Spirit, seeing the promises of God being fulfilled in this promise that her son would be the Son of God, breaks out into song. She sings about the goodness and kindness of God and what he has done for her and what he will do through Jesus for generations to come. Guys, when grace takes a hold of our hearts, we can't help but praise we praise through song. And so what I want us to see this morning from Mary's song is four things that she sings about. She sings about God's glory. She sings about God's grace. She sings about God's strength. And she sings about God's provision. So she sings again about God's glory, God's grace, God's strength, and God's provision. Take a look with me at the beginning of this song in verse 46. Luke writes this, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Like the prayers of the Old Testament from David to Hannah to Asaph to all the old saints, Mary knows and Mary begins her song with magnifying the Lord because she knows that it is God's greatest gift to us 
that he would give himself. And to bring honor and glory to him, this is how she begins her song. My soul magnifies the Lord. I give glory to God because she knows her chief end. And as the Westminster Shorter Catechism opens up in asking what is man's chief end, it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so Mary begins her prayer with enjoyment in bringing glory to God because she knows that's where her greatest joy is found. It is not in the gift of a child being brought to her. It is not that her family would be continued through the lineage of her son. It is not because she has come and had a good, deep conversation with her cousin. No, she recognizes that it is God who is her greatest gift. And it is in him who she finds her greatest joy. And her praise reveals this. Her praise reveals that God deserves this glory because he is good and he is right and he is God. So how, how do we then follow this example? How do we glorify God in our lives, in our songs, in our prayers, in our works? Well, the scriptures tell us that apart from faith, we cannot please God. And we cannot bring glory to him. So it is through faith, and not just faith in any object, but faith in Christ, that perfect faith imputed to us because of Jesus, that allows us to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So when we offer up our prayers or our praises or our works in faith, it is through Jesus that they are perfected and received by God. So apart from faith, we cannot please God, but it is through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can offer up our praise and prayers and works in this faith. God is glorified. But in our lives as well, through faith, with love and obedience, we bring glory to God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.31, In whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So it is in our faith, in our love, and in our obedience to God that we bring glory to his name and find enjoyment in all of the things that he has blessed us with. So guys, whatever you do, based on what Paul tells us through, his, through God's word in 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, whether it is writing code or making coffee, or being a data analyst, or being a stay-at-home mom, or selling homes, or being a plumber. Whatever you do, you do in faith, love, and obedience. And that is how you bring glory to God through your life. And in that glory, God is magnified. And there you find your greatest joy. So we bring glory to God through faith, love, and obedience and like Mary, this should produce an enjoyment of God that causes our heart to sing, that causes our heart to praise. The next part of Mary's song is that she sings about God's grace. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior who has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
Here we see Mary recognize her state before the Lord. You see what she says here? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She recognizes that like us, because of her sin, she is separated from a holy and right God. And she needs the grace, just like us, to be saved. Now, I think sometimes we as Protestants can get a little weird when it comes to Mary because we might fall into some deifying role like a Roman Catholic or the Catholic Church. That is not what I'm trying to do this morning. But what I want to do is bring her as an example that we can follow because she too recognizes her sin. She too recognizes that she is in need of salvation. And it is in this salvation she recognizes that God is using her as a servant. And she sees that in this grace that he has given to her, that she can be humble. She can have humility. She can offer up her life to be a vessel in which God uses her to bring about the Son of God. Mary isn't arrogant when she says that the Lord is using her. She isn't prideful that God would bless her with this gift. She looks to the future. She looks to the future of Israel and of God's people, that their Messiah would come through her, and she praises God. She recognizes through grace that she can be humble, that she should be humble. And just like her example, we should have humility. When we understand the grace of God, that it is not deserved, that we are sinners standing before a holy God, and what is due to us in, be, without Christ is judgment. But what God has done is He's sent Jesus on our behalf so that those who have faith in Him are now reconciled, forgiven, and free, and we are made sons and daughters of God. Guys, I don't know if there's anything greater that should humble us other than that. It is the grace of God that should give us humility in our hearts. We should not be arrogant or prideful people because we understand the state that we were once in. And when I think about the grace of God calling me to his own, I can't help but sing. And it should be the same for us when we understand the grace we have been given. And what that grace does in humility allows us to be like Mary and say, Lord, use me as your vessel. Use me as your servant so that your name and your mercy can go out to those who fear you from generation to generation. It can free you to live a life proclaiming the gospel and making disciples wherever you are. It can free you to go to nations and share the gospel with those who haven't heard it. It can free you to go into a coffee shop and learn somebody's name and begin to share the gospel with them here in Indianapolis or in your neighborhood or in your sphere of influence. It is this grace and humility that allows us to be servants of God. And to have a heart posture of praise that God would save us. Because this is, Mary, this is Mary's example to us. 
that she sees that God is her Savior and she knows that without His saving grace, she is nothing. And so this may, may this humility be a heart posture for us that leads us to praise and leads us to service for what God has done in us and what He has called us to do here in this world. The next thing that Mary sings about is God's strength. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away. Guys, here in this part of the song, she sings about God's strength and his sovereignty and his might. That he has done good things that only he can do. See, oftentimes we can look at this world and think the powerful and the rich, they're the ones that get away with things, right? We don't feel like justice will be served. And yet God takes that and flips it on its head. He humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. Is this not what he's done for Mary? A poor young woman. He gives her this blessing of carrying a child that would be the son of God. And she even recognizes now, through all generations, she will be called blessed. And so God does this for Mary. He also does this for us. Because this is, if, we, if we're not careful, we can miss this. This is the gospel call, is it not? That Jesus would come not to call the righteous, but to call the sick, as he says in Luke. He doesn't save those who don't need saving. He saves those who have humbled themselves in faith. And we find Jesus opening up his ministry in Matthew 4, beginning in his preaching, where he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what this strength does. This is what his mighty hand does, as he humbles the prideful and he exalts the humble. And this is what repentance looks like, is a humbling of ourselves. When Peter gets up and preaches his sermon to thousands, how do they respond? What what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized. And this is the message of the gospel. Humble ourselves. Repent of our sins and our selfishness and our pride and our desire to worship the idols of this world and trying to make ourselves God in our own lives. And repent and put your faith in Christ. And you will be reconciled back to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this isn't what we like, is it? We don't like that God actually humbles the rich or the exalted. Well, we might like it because we don't think that we are the arrogant and the prideful. But yet the gospel is for us, and it is for our arrogant and sinful hearts to humble us and call us to repentance and to change and to live a life according to the kingdom of God. God flips this world's view of exaltation upside down. And it is the way that we should be living in humility. Again, recognizing the grace that we have been given. And songs of praise should flow from our lips because God has done this for us. 
we, once being arrogant and dead in our sin, God has given us a new heart. And he's humbled us and taken us from enemies to friends. From rejecting him to being filled with every good thing. It's in Christ we can sing because of God's mighty hand has taken us out of our arrogant hearts, has, has humbled us, given us new hearts of flesh, and this should produce praise. And finally, Mary sings of God's provision for his people. In verse 44, 54, he says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary sings of God's provision for his people. Mary sings about him remembering his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and is showing mercy through Jesus to his people Israel and then to us as the gospel extends. And I want us to remember again the context of Mary's promise that Jesus is to come and be the Son of God, the one who would save his people Remember that God, would, God was silent for 400 years up until Gabriel comes and gives this news. Many of Israel, including Mary herself, would have been waiting and longing and remembering the stories of Scripture of how God would provide a Savior. And they would long from generation to generation to see this Messiah. But what happens in waiting we often are deceived. We often begin to think that God has forgotten about us or that he is silent or maybe he's inactive. 400 years, the Israelites waited for this Messiah and we find as we walk through the book of Luke that there was only a small remnant that still believed that the Messiah would come. And Mary receives this promise from God. And she sees this promised blessing that God had not forgotten his people, nor was he inactive in his silence, but providing and helping his people with the Savior they needed. Not a Savior that would free them from the oppression of Rome, but a Savior that would free them from their greatest need to be freed from the bondage of sin and slavery to it. And he offers this same freedom to us in Christ. And we can often get here as well when God feels distant or silent. I know I've, I have at times, I know I've talked to many of you in here who have felt the same. That when we don't feel that sweet communion that we have once felt before, we can be deceived that God is not there. Or that God is inactive in our life. Or He is upset with us. But I want us to remember this morning, and you've heard me say this before, though God may seem silent, the scriptures show us that he is never inactive. He is always working for the good of his people. And even though his presence may not be felt as it has for you in the past, it is because of our union with Christ that we can have assurance and security that he is with us. And that he is working in our lives in many ways, more than we can possibly imagine, for our good and for his glory. And in this, 
even in those times where we feel that God is distant, much like David in Psalm 42 as he cries out, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Where is my God? When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my, day, my, tears have been my food both day and night. He sings this song even though he can't feel the communion that he once had. Because he knows that his union is secure. And so we can sing even in the midst of silence or where we feel that God is inactive. And so Mary points us to God's provision and care for his people. So a couple of questions I want to ask this morning as we close. How can you cultivate a life filled with songs of praise, full of joy, that can't help but sing? How can you cultivate a life filled with songs of praise and a life full of joy that can't help but sing? One of the things I want us to notice this morning from Mary's song is that it was first and foremost rich and full of Old Testament history, promises, and glorifying God for his goodness and character which means that she knew her Old Testament. She knew God's word. And it was where she went to in her song of praise. But I also want us to see that there was an interaction between Elizabeth and Mary that was full of gospel truth. She had people in her life that she could go to that would preach the gospel to her, even in the times of blessing. Because I, do, I believe this, we can do a good job of preaching the gospel to one another in times of trial, in times of reminding and remembering. We, we do a great job. Our, our church is a great example of that. But what about when the blessings come? Are we quick to praise God for those blessings? We have some people in our church, and I, and I love this, when I tell them that there is something good going on in my life or good going on in this church, their first response is, praise God. And you know what happens when I hear that? I'm like, yeah, praise God. Look what he did. Praise him. It brings a joy into my life because their response is true and right in praising God for his blessing. And so how can we cultivate a life of singing gospel truth? This should not be a shocker because I say this almost every time I preach. It is through God's word and through his people that we can help have, or that can help cultivate a life that sings these praises of gospel truth in our lives. God's word and God's people. But also, and I want to challenge this because this is also for me, so it's going to go out to us. Um, a practical way in which we can cultivate a life of singing, not only through God's word and God's people, but is also listening to godly music. I mean, that should be like a, oh yeah, duh. I just got an email this week uh, that my Spotify wrapped, right? Like the, the thing that shows me what I've listened to the entire year is going to be ready in like a couple of weeks. And I'm always interested to, interested to see, okay, what, what have I been listening to this entire year? And to be honest with you, if it is not praise and worship music, I'm, I am kind of discouraged because I recognize in my own life that that is time wasted of not listening to things that can uplift me, that, not listening to things that can be put in a bank that I can draw from when I need it. Now, don't hear me in saying that it's not okay to listen to non-praise and worship music. I, I love, if you know me, I love country music. 90s country music is the best music, hands down, and you cannot, you cannot convince me otherwise. 
But there is something to be said about the music you listen to, especially when you are going through seasons of hard times. When the dark nights of the soul come, where are you running to? Where are you drawing from? And guys, a very real example of my life recently happened where my dad passed away. And when my dad passed away, I, I had to drive from Louisville to Columbus to pick up my brother, which is about an hour drive. And even though my Jeep was silent and there were tears flowing in my head, there were two songs that I kept running back to. Run to the Father. Fall into grace. And that old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. All my sins and grief he bears. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. I don't have those songs to sing and to comfort me if I'm not listening to those songs. If I'm not actively pursuing things that are going to be deep in my soul when those hard times come. And that's often true about anything in our life, right? How can we run back to the Word of God in our hard times if we don't have it treasured within us? So do you have these songs that you can go back to? In any season that points you to gospel truth, do you have people that you can run to that are going to help you have a spirit and a heart of praise and worship? So we cultivate a life of song and praise through God's word and God's people. Because we have to remember that spirit-filled people sing gospel truth. That's our posture that is our heart. I got to meet an old saint this week. Heidi and I got to travel back to South Carolina, and uh, he gave me a lot of wisdom nuggets. He's 94, maybe, I think. Um, but he was just kind of spouting off things, and it was great, and I loved it. But one of the pieces of wisdom that he gave me that I will hold on to, he said, wake up every day and preach the gospel to yourself. And this, guys, is one of the ways that we can preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Is by singing gospel truth. Having a heart cultivated on praise for what God has done for us. That he, is, he deserves all of the glory. He has shown us grace. And in his strength, he has provided for us. This is how we cultivate a heart of praise. And we can sing gospel truth throughout our lives. And so as I close this morning, I want to I point us to another way in which we preach the gospel to ourselves. And it's something that we do every single week through the act of communion. This means of grace is a sign of the covenant that God has made with his people through Christ. We see the glory of God. We see his grace displayed and his strength and his provision for his people. It was, the, it was for his glory that he sent his only son so that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. And through Jesus living the life that we could never live and in Jesus dying a death that we as sinners so rightly deserve and Jesus raising from the grave, defeating sin and death on our behalf, it is through him that our election is sealed and our adoption as sons and daughters is sealed as well that we are brought into the family 
That where we were once fractured in our relationship with the Lord, we have now been reconciled because of Christ's finished work on the cross. And God now looks on you. He now looks on me. And he says the same thing that he said to Jesus. This is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And guys, I don't know about you, but that makes my heart leap for joy. That the God of this universe, as David says in Psalm 8, would be mindful of me and that he would call me his own. Because I know, and I know you all know, where you fail, where your idols are, where your selfishness lies, where your sins still present themselves, and to think that God in Christ calls me his own is humbling. And it should produce a heart of praise. And so every time we come to communion, I hope that you see this gift is a reminder of what God has done for you in Christ. That his body was broken and his blood was shed and poured out for us. So before we take communion, I want to give us some instructions. And before that, I'm going to call you to come and grab the elements and then we will celebrate together. So come and grab the bread and wine. Or Jews. We're Baptists. (laughs) Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church.